Welcome to Live Your Own Fit Wellness and Performance Podcast. We're your hosts, Jamie Ellen and Pete Jacobs. Did you know you have the option to be healthier than you've ever been, to be happier, strong, fit and enjoy quality of life now into older age? To burn fat, cut cravings, improve your sleep, wake up feeling great every day without the aches and the pains, to have the body composition you've always wanted and energy you've never experienced. On this podcast, we talk all things health and performance, how they're connected and how we can achieve them both at home, at work, in training and on the race course. We chat mindset, mindfulness, recovery, sleep and so much more. We draw from our experiences as an age group athlete and as a world champion triathlete so you can enjoy two different perspectives from two very different people. We love supporting you to your goals and setting you on the path to better health in mind and body. We coach people one-on-one and also give you a community to find support in as well as our weekly group webinar. You'll learn to love to cook from our Fit Food recipe book and find endless recommended resources. We cater to all health and performance goals from lifestyle and elite athletes, health and fitness newbies to chronic health sufferers looking for answers, all at different ages and stages. But our clients and ourselves all have a similarity. We all want optimal long-lasting health with increased energy, happiness and performance. If you want us to make your goals our passion, then contact us through our website, liveyourownfit.com or drop us a message on our Instagram or Facebook. We'd love to hear from you. Now, let's get on with the show. So today we're going to be discussing a lot of frequently asked questions that we've been receiving lately from our clients. And when we say clients, they are uh, people that want to better themselves and live a higher quality of life. So some are athletes, some are triathletes, and others are simply just wanting to maybe lose a little bit of weight, gain some energy, and to be able to be a better Uh, role model mum and dad for their kids. So we're going to discuss a few of these today and give you some more information. Um, So what's our first question, Pete? First question is why juices aren't always great for you? Um, We had somebody out and about doing the two-week elimination diet and they hadn't fully read all the facts about it and they went and got a carrot and beetroot juice so pureed juice, you know, no fiber in it. Um, so you end up being quite high in sugar. Um, the beetroots are quite high in sugar. So is carrots moderate, but that's okay to eat in the two-week elimination diet. But the problem is if it's juiced with no fiber, you're still going to get quite a rush of blood sugar. Um, and that's what you're trying to avoid in the two-week test as the predominant factor is to keep blood sugar stable so that what happens over a couple of weeks keeping blood sugar stable, then when you reintroduce some carbohydrates, do you feel worse for it? Like you might get sleepy afterwards, you might get a headache, any other hormonal differences, um, you might even get some gastrointestinal distress. So the key is to keep those uh, down for two weeks. Um, but there's also a few other issues with juicing as well uh, that we were talking about with another client who'd gone quite crazy on the green juices, um, almost a bag of spinach a day, raw kale as well, um, really thought he was being amazing by putting heaps of green stuff in there. And the problem can be that you end up just overdoing a certain type of plant uh, and there's a lot of oxalates and a lot of lectins in plants and especially if you're having the same ones a lot of time, that can be a bit of a problem as well and not necessarily help you absorb all the nutrients that are in the plants because 
already bioavailability is quite low in plants. Um, so if you have that with your other meals, perhaps you perhaps you had it with protein powder or with close to dinner when you're eating a steak, that can inhibit the absorption of the nutrients from the foods which are much more bioavailable. So you end up, you know, double-edged sword there a bit where the plants could be causing some inflammation by having them in such a huge amount of quantities raw and also could be stealing nutrients from the other good foods that you're eating. And I also think what can end up happening when you do start having a lot of liquid vegetable juices or green smoothies is you do fill yourself up, but it's not necessarily filling yourself up with the proteins and healthy fats. So you end up having a green smoothie, but then you're too full to have that piece of protein at lunch um, and the good fats with it. So you're jeopardizing your uh, macronutrient um, higher density foods and um, yep, you're just too full to keep having them. So that's the Mm. only thing I would add to that is just be careful um, that you're jeopardizing that prioritization of your protein and um, healthy fats. Yeah. Excellent point. The essential amino acids, the essential fatty acids. Um, And another thing that popped up was that somebody had had like a pre-made tuna salad that came with like mayonnaise and flavoring and everything in it. And hadn't quite learnt yet that you have to read the label of absolutely everything that comes processed. And I'll just read through some of the ingredients. Um, Mayonnaise was the first ingredient of soybean oil and a few other things. A little bit of high fructose corn syrup, um, a little bit of something called calcium disodium and EDTA to protect the flavors. Uh, There was also... um, breadcrumbs, which is just bleached flour, wheat, yeast, sugar, and salt, textured vegetable protein, uh, textured soy flour. Um, Then you've just got a few other weird things, sodium gluconate, a bit of xanthan gum, no more than 2% silicon dioxide. Well, that's lucky. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Sodium benzoate, and potassium sorbate. So maybe not all of them are terrible, but I mean, there's so many ingredients in a mayonnaise for one, like do not get a, do not use a pre-made mayonnaise to add to your tuna separately and do not buy one that's all mixed together. Um, Obviously there's a lot of ingredients and you want to really try and avoid soybean oil um, and any industrialized seed oils. Uh, They can be quite a problem. Yeah, what I would be suggesting instead as an alternative, because that's what we're all about, what is easy and it's uh, going to be something that you it's practical as well, is just buy a tinned tuna in brine, so that's the salt and water, or tinned tuna or salmon in spring water and add your own oil. So I'd be suggesting there extra virgin olive oil or avocado oil or macadamia oil, something like that with a maybe a dash of balsamic vinegar or red wine vinegar or white wine vinegar that you've got in the pantry with some lemon or lime juice and some extra salt. And that can be pretty amazing. You could also, if you had it available, um, put some egg yolks in there as well and some avocado. And you've got a one 
a, a pretty much a one ingredient. Well, it's not one ingredient, but it's a one main ingredient meal. Um, and I'll go down the rabbit hole of why industrialized seed oils aren't great. Um, because I was doing a little bit of research on this this week, and really interesting, a bit of history around it. And soybeans only came to the U.S. in the 1930s, and by the 1950s, it was the most popular vegetable oil in the country. Canola, corn, and safflower oils followed shortly after. Um, firstly, what happens is the seeds are gathered from those plants. They're heated to extremely high temperatures, uh, causing the unsaturated fatty acids to oxidize and create some byproducts that are harmful for humans and animals. The seeds are then processed with a petroleum-based solvent such as hexane to maximize the amount of soil extracted. Then they, it is manufactured using chemicals to deodorize the oils, which have a very off-putting smell once that's extracted. Um, and then the deodorization process produces trans fats and and then finally we more chemicals are added to improve the color and the um, texture and flavor of the seed oil so that you know we all look at it and think it's quite nice and pretty and clear um, if you were to have something like you know flax seed oils any seed oils that are cold pressed though then that's okay I mean we don't need to totally avoid omega-6s that's not the problem, the problem is that there's so many Ovega-6s in such a high level in the standard uh, Australian, American, Western diets. That becomes a problem when it gets to such a high level and that you're not eating much Omega-3s as most people don't eat much seafood these days to counteract those high levels of Omega-6s. So that's why Omega-6s is such a health problem um, around the world. Mm. And just to add on to that, between 1985 and 2010, individual our individual intake of vegetable oils increased from threefold to sixfold. So that's doubling. And um, when you when you actually look at the China's population, that has a moderate but not a high vegetable oil intake. So people from age two and older, they're consuming almost on average 300 calories or more. Of vegetable oil daily so that's about 30 grams of vegetable oil daily and they're a population that we consider to be having a moderate but not high vegetable oil intake so that's just a little bit of an eye-opener for us where there. we're heading compared to where we were just like i said just before the 1930s when it wasn't even in production whatsoever so in a very short time span and we can see some of the effect that that's been having on um, some chronic illnesses and diseases um, next question is often why I'm having cravings for junk foods at the office in the afternoon. So biscuits, lollies, you know, literally anything that tastes a bit sweet because we're just sort of craving it. Yeah, I think that part of that reason why we would be craving is because it's there in front of us. <laughs> we may have been up early, we may have been training or working up early with the kids we haven't started our day with a protein-rich and um, good fat meal such as eggs and bacon and avocado and we've hit a wall. So perhaps at lunchtime we've worked through lunch or we've just had a coffee, we've gone and grabbed a cappuccino and maybe that muffin from the, the muffin bar at work and we feel great for the next hour but then all of a sudden our blood sugar plummets, it's ready for the next hit of sugar and 
we need the biscuits. Yeah, and the other big factor besides just blood sugar um, changing, as you're talking about, is that the happy chemicals, the happy hormones Mm. in our brains that we've attached to certain foods, particularly sweet foods, and that's what always will happen generally, uh, we crave that feeling. It's just like you know, someone who Mm. craves um, some drugs because it makes them feel, you know, relaxed and happy, then it's the exact same thing. You know, the lollies are a drug because they give you that hit of release. It's Mm. partly because of what they're made from and partly because of the the symbolism and, and memories that we've attached to them ourselves. Yeah, I the other day I wrote a blog on something similar and that was on coffee. So coffee isn't just about having that caffeine hit. It's about walking with your co-workers or your friends after a training session to the coffee shop. You see your favorite barista making your coffee. You smell the coffee beans. So you're getting that full sensory um, experience there. You're chatting to your friends. You're laughing. You're handing over money and you're also receiving what you consider to be a gift in return. And it's, yep, the whole experience. So much like a smoker needs cigarettes, I think we do as coffee drinkers. I'm a coffee drinker myself. I love my coffee hit each day. Um, I consider that being a bit of a coffee hit as well. And it very much is in line with what you're talking about with the the sugary sweets. Yeah, the whole experience. And that's why in the two-week elimination test, this question comes up a lot because it's not something that changes quickly. That thought, that memory, that experience doesn't just go away. But the longer you go without having that hit of, oh, that really sweet biscuit is makes me happy, the longer you go without that happening, the easier it is. Like you just forget about it and that memory just goes away, which is why, you know, cold turkey on the two-week test works best because you're not just limiting. It's not just like, oh, I can just have oh, one biscuit a day instead of the four I used to have because just that one biscuit a day is still enough to reinforce that memory, that behavior, um, that you're just going to keep that happening all the time and it's not going to change any of your habits or your thought patterns. So the key would be to modify that behavior with something else is the key. So modify it with getting a herbal tea, for instance, or, you know, just a handful of almonds or something else that you enjoy. Maybe it is just you've brought some more boiled eggs to work or maybe it's even something better like... Um, you know, some cold meats from the supermarket, like some cold turkey or something delicious. Um, whatever it is that you enjoy. Boiled that's still, eggs are delicious. Yeah, but still <laughs> low carbohydrate, but still going to give you, change that habit um, from having that experience of the sweet foods being something that makes you feel good. And it's really important at that time as well to remind yourself of your goal. So what is your goal? Why are you wanting to do the elimination diet? Why are you wanting to reduce your cravings for biscuits? And for most people, it's because, well, there's a wide variety of things. It's not one thing for most people, whether it's because you get headaches in the afternoons or any time, or it's your sleep's no good, you're putting on weight, um, your vital signs are getting worse, you've got a chronic disease, your blood sugars are all over the place, um, you might be leaning towards being pre-diabetic, whatever it is, there's a thousand different reasons that people have. But when you pick your reason that you want to 
use and be the commitment that you're you're giving towards then you need to remind yourself at that time in the afternoon okay if i'm want that goal if i want to achieve that goal then i'm going to change my habits and i'm going to stick with the other alternative that is not that sweet food reinforcing that bad behavior and those cravings so Cold turkey is brilliant. That's why the two-week test um, can work. And often people on the two-week test want to extend it. And you often find the two-week test does suit some personalities over others. So if you are an abstainer, uh, then it is great. The two-week test will work for you and it will work in your favor. If you're a moderator, it does become a bit of a head nick for you. I'm a moderator myself. So if Pete does say to me, you... You know, you can't have this. Uh, I don't know. What if you it were would doing be. the two weeks, if you're on the test, and for two, two weeks, you couldn't have, have any grains and any fruit. Yeah, I don't really eat much of that anyway, to be honest with you. But just the fact that he's told me I can't, I'll go and eat it just to spite him. So I think you have to be careful with different personality types. Um, we always chat to our clients beforehand. We qualify them and then we look at the strategy that best suits them and the outcomes thereafter after that. Uh, but I, I often will say to my clients it, when they do get hungry at work and, you know, everyone's digging into the Arnott's biscuits at work, it does happen or someone's gone and got the Australian confectionery lollies. If you do, If you do feel hungry, go and have a piece of cheese. If you think that that piece of cheese, once you think of the piece of cheese, if it doesn't really do much for you, your mouth isn't watering, you're thinking, oh, I don't really want the piece of cheese. Most of the time, you may just be thirsty. You you may not be hungry. So uh, I'd recommend go and make, as Pete said, go and make a cup of tea or a coffee or herbal tea and see how that sits with you. If it's still not sitting that great, then maybe ask yourself, what joy was I after with the sweets? Because a lot of the time it may just be either that loving feeling that you associate with the sweets. Which is very fleeting when it comes from a yeah. snack. <laughs> so often it, it sounds a bit ridiculous and a bit high-fetched, but why not give a loved one a call? Why not um, give them a call, say you're thinking of them and have a quick chat? Um, you're at work, you probably don't want to give a co-worker a hug, but if you're at home and, and there's a family member or friend at home that you can give a hug, give them a hug. Or if you've got a, a cat or a dog, give them a hug. And you'll notice that five seconds later, that fleeting thought of craving that sugary treat will actually, um, yeah. it will actually go away. Yeah. Or perhaps even just doing something with a sense of play in it. Um, you know, so hopefully at work, maybe your workplace has something where people can go and actually have a little bit of playtime, whether it's just a bit of a joke, running joke in the office, or whether it's um, a quick little game that you can play for two minutes with a coworker, but something that gives you that endorphins of happiness other than it coming from food. Um, and the other thing we try and give everybody is knowledge on why it's not great. Why the sugar is such a problem? Why the sweet carbohydrates that raise our blood sugars are a problem? And this is interesting that in just a few hundred years, the changes that have occurred in the, uh, the average diet. I mean, in 1700, there was approximately only an intake of 1.81 kilograms per year of sugar. There's now... Well, let's go through it. In 1800, there was approximately 10 kilos, 1900, 40 kilos. And in 2009, 50% of Americans consumed approximately 
81 kilos of sugar per year. So obviously that's different. That's only taken 50% of the population, but we can see where it's been headed. I mean, the drastic increase every year and the drastic increase has been, you know, correlates very closely as well to the increase in um, chronic disease, whether it be cardiovascular risk or diabetes or any of the other chronic illnesses that we're experiencing, autoimmune conditions as well could potentially be related to that too. Um, it's just crazy the changes that have occurred in just, you know, three, four hundred years. Um, and even we have to look at fruit as a potential problem too. And that's not something we recommend people ever really just snack on, you know, on certainly not on a daily basis. Um, if you went back just a few hundred years and looked at what fruit was back then, um, for starters, it was mostly just what you could get local. It was mostly what was seasonal. And of course, it did not look anything like the fruit that we have these days in the supermarket aisles. Um, obviously, a lot smaller, not as sweet, much lower fructose content. So crazy how much things have changed in just a few hundred years. And that's part of the problem why we are having such issues with constantly var variable blood sugars when it's raised often then we raise insulin then we're having all these other issues that flow and effect and it's getting worse and worse so we really need to look at okay what is real food that we evolved on and like uh you know it wasn't that long ago that we were mostly just hunters and gatherers so you know a lot of good fresh proteins and seafood and um you know the occasional berries in season but you know, that was pretty much it. And so we need to just think about what junk food we're eating these days. And um, it's pretty obvious that, as we mentioned, the recent introduction of seed oils uh, and the recent introduction of high amounts of fruit um, and processed foods are really, you know, one of the major causes. So there's a lot more information behind all of that, but we really try and um, get everybody to watch a lot of the YouTube clips that we recommend through you know, low carb down under, um, have a great health resource and a lot of great information on there. So it, we just try and educate as well so that you know the reasons why you're not going to choose something. And also, even if you have the knowledge of, okay, I know this is going to be bad for me. Let's say it is like having, you know, some wine. Uh, you can say, okay, I know this is too much wine, but it's I'm my choice and I know I'm going to feel lousy about it tomorrow. And we do it with alcohol quite well. You know, we know that if we drink a lot, we're going to feel really lousy for a day or two. Um, but with food, we often just don't correlate that and we don't change our behaviors. We might eat something, feel bad the next day, but then we'll go back and eat it again the next day and this cycle continues. So, you know, hopefully the knowledge can help change people's behaviors as well. So, you know, even if you do choose the bad foods, you choose them with the knowledge that you know what it's going to change and perhaps, you know, maybe you've um, done something to mitigate those uh, responses in your body. Yeah, I think that's a really good point, Pete, that you say about the wine. Uh, uh, I totally agree with you and I've never actually thought about it in that way before, in that aspect, um, but we do do it with alcohol really, really well. Um, we just don't seem to do it with our sleep or with our food. So I think also part of that though is looking at your self-worth and your confidence in yourself and feeling deserving that you should be treating your body uh, like the like the temple it is. I do remember uh, back when I was working in Sydney in an office, the 
uh, my colleagues used to joke and used to say that I treated my body like a, I think it was a temple they were referring to, or there was something similar to that effect. And it was because I ate a really clean diet often, most of the time. And um, they found that really peculiar. It was very unique for where I was. And it was a bit of a joke, but at the same time, they were, were, um, I think, in a bit of disbelief that I ate so well, but it made me feel good. And I was able to always go to the gym and then study at night time. Um, and work the long hours as well and, and not get sick. So I, I do think it is very much you've got to have some self-worth, some confidence to be a little bit different from uh, the social scene around you and um, have that inner belief um, that what you're doing is, is going to get you to where you want to go. Yeah, and that's the difference. Not everybody wants to get to a healthier place. Not everybody, you know, is so open to the fact that, oh, 50% of the population currently have a chronic illness. And as you get older... I think it's the, 60%, isn't it? Well, probably as you get older, that would increase. Um, so some people, though, are very much like, well, we're all going to die at some point. I'm just going to eat the food I enjoy and live the life I want to enjoy it. I'm not going to be a monk and blah, blah, blah. But, you know, those sort of people are not the people that want, you know, health coaches. Um <laughs> They just want to really do their own thing. And for now, that's their view and you're not going to change anybody's view. But for those that are interested in, oh, okay, my health hasn't been great or, you know, my symptoms aren't great. I'd like to change some symptoms. Um, Or you're thinking way further ahead and thinking, okay, I'm pretty scared of Alzheimer's when I'm older. So what can I do to avoid that? And Mm. it's all the same stuff. If you want to perform really well at work, um, in sport, in, and in family life, whatever it is, it's the exact same process for doing that as it is to avoiding Alzheimer's and uh, diabetes and cardiovascular disease. So everything is just coming back to, you know, live a healthier lifestyle with low, lower stress. And there's many ways you can do that. But then the biggest component is, like I said, those major changes that have occurred in the last few hundred years and it's not like living like a monk at all. It's just changing, as we talked about at the very start, is just about changing where that happy hormone comes from. And it just has to come from that constant happiness that, oh, I'm doing something that makes me feel great. I'm more energetic. Every day I wake up and feel good and I can go exercise as I want rather than, oh, for the next five minutes, I'm going to eat this chocolate bar and be happy for five minutes and then I'm going to feel lousy afterwards. So, going for the fleeting pleasure of the junk food or going for the constant, always present feeling of happiness that you're doing as much as you can to feel good and you will be feeling good all the time. So I think it's a pretty obvious choice. But like I say, not everyone has that same view and not everyone uh, can so happily give up certain foods and certain habits to get that other other mindset going but i think you know that's the difference everyone's different but it comes down to if you want to achieve that then those are the people that we're attracting 
And I think it's also looking at the ripple effect that you can have on the people around you. So, for example, at the moment, I'm working with a client who one of his main uh, who yeah one of his main drivers is yes he wants to lose weight but the biggest thing for him he wants to have the energy to go mountain biking with his daughter and at the moment he just can't do that he can't keep up with her and he doesn't feel like it's a safe thing for him to be doing with her so everyone's got their own little vision and um, something that drives them and it's always very very different from one person to the next even when you are in the same family at times um, but having that ripple effect on loved ones. We also are working with clients at the moment whose main aim is to increase fertility. So funny enough, even though we're both athletes, well, Pete being a professional athlete, you don't always attract um, athletes when you're working with them because, as Pete said, the principles of health and performance are very much the same whether you're a professional athlete an age group athlete or simply just wanting to better your life and quality of life so they're just wanting to increase fertility and increase their chances of having a healthy bub yeah and the it's all tied in so you think before you've even thought about it your your epigenetics your genes change compared to your environment and uh, what you're eating so they can change quite quickly. So if you change your diet and change the genes that you're passing on, you know, that's a much uh, better start for your child. And also being able to um, get pregnant in the first place, it does come down to, and like I mentioned before, Low Carb Down Under have a great YouTube um, presentation that one of the doctors did on fertility and how it is related to um, generally high um, blood glucose problems and high insulin reactions to that. So everything does often come, well, a lot of things do come back to, um, you know, just that impact on your blood sugar. So yeah, just think about that. Just as James said at the very start, if you're having a plant-based smoothie that's um, pretty much just all fiber and carbohydrates, then you're not having any healthy fats in there. You're not having any healthy proteins, any healthy amino acids. Um that you can really only get from uh, some of them from from animals, and you know otherwise up your egg intake um, and find other great great sources that you can uh, supplement with a fish oil. You know those sort of aspects are really important of um, looking at where you're missing out uh, if you are having you know a lot of other um, foods from other sources. So, mm. Yeah, that's- and. I think maybe what we can move on to is another question um, that we do get from time to time, and that is how can they increase their energy when they get out of bed? So how can they get out of bed more like an excitable teenager than a sloth (laughs) that doesn't want to do much? Well, there's a lot of reasons why sleep could not be so good for you. because there's so many hormones in the body and all the hormones are interconnected. So it's amazing how deep that question could go, but it all depends on the individual. And for, for one, for one um, client that I'm working with, um, and he's, he's not old and he's only in his mid-20s, but a lot of headaches um, and wakes up feeling really tired. So simply by reducing simply time on Netflix and computer screens before bed, huge one because blue light will um, 
keep melatonin from kicking in. Uh, melatonin being one of the main hormones that kick in at nighttime when you sleep and then that kicks in a whole bunch of other hormones and they all work at night to clear out the garbage at nighttime so that you wake up feeling fresh um, like you've actually had sleep. So he's feeling better from that. Also from minimizing caffeine throughout the day. So instead of about four coffees, he's down to a couple of decafs. So yeah, his sleep is better from a couple of simple habit changes. Mm. Um, and so he's been pretty quick to reverse and that's been pretty good, but there's still room for improvement. And there's so many other factors with foods. Um, looking up another email I sent this week was more around, oh, maybe you could try um, reducing your nightshades before uh, bed because it's not often talked about, about the increase um, from nightshades that could be affecting our sleep and increasing insomnia a little bit. I so, learned that during the week, personally. Ah, Remember when I had the mints. I had some mints and I put in lots of spices, lots of canned tomato in there and I had a horrible night's sleep. Um, but I did have, I think I did have a coffee around 1 p.m. as well. But it was, it was like I'd had a, uh, a I don't know, an energy drink. Um, I just could not get to sleep. I tried a lot. I even had some um, melatonin supplement and some magnesium powder before I went to bed. And I was still really, really hyped up and energized. Yeah. And we were talking before um, this week, we were talking about possibly the effect of histamine. So those foods can be high reaction, um, cause a high reaction in histamine and histamine is related to estrogen. So at certain times of the month, women are going to be more affected by a histamine response and not be able to deal with a high histamine amount of food as, as other people are. And I'm looking into my effects, the effects that histamine might be having on me and my gut uh, at the moment as well and finding it really interesting. So that's um, another avenue of why maybe tracking your... Cycle. Cycle uh, for the women because your estrogen affects histamine and so You sound a bit uncomfortable in your tone well, of voice, I was waiting AP. for you to jump in. <laughs> that could be another problem. Um, but of course, yeah, I've had low testosterone and higher estrogen for quite a while. So histamine is potentially a, a bigger <laughs> problem for me also. So it generally is more affected in women, um, the histamine issue overload. Uh, but yeah, but another thing to look into for why we're not sleeping, certain foods, certain plant families, and obviously caffeine intake are all going to be um, factors. So, so mm. many, so many reasons why sleep's not good, but just start somewhere. Um, pick a couple of habits that you can stick to. Don't try and incorporate, you know, 20 new habits on one day, but just try and stick to a few um, and work through those. And then as they become good, solid habits that you don't even need to think about, then you can go, okay, what's the next couple of habits I can add in mm. on top of those ones now that they're naturally occurring? And just on the factor of sleep too, one thing as athletes, you do tend to go for that late night training session after work. And if you are doing an anaerobic exercise or a high intensity workout, you'll find that it is very much harder to get to sleep after doing that workout because you then eat dinner, um, you go to bed on a full stomach as well, your heart's still racing and your body's still very much um, processing that food and you're not resting and digesting. So you're, you, got, you would say that... Your flight response yeah, has kicked in. If you've released a lot of cortisol... You're not able to absorb as much nutrients In a high-intensity interval training session, 
um, you know, you've kicked in that, that central nervous system response of fight or flight, your sympathetic nervous system. So mm. those things you can work on calming down by, again, just avoiding television, doing some good belly breathing at the end of the session or just before bed, um, before your meal, and just try and do what you can to do a little bit of meditative type practice to calm mm. that system back down after a hard session, which should help you get to sleep a little bit um, yeah, and mm-hmm. digest your food better also. So you absorb more nutrients and don't have as much um, sort of irritable uh, bowel or gastrointestinal issues um, and we can be all a bit healthier. And I think that just brings it to the point of uh, what we were also discussing today is having a good, strong, supportive network around you and having someone like a coach, a health coach, a performance coach working with you to support you and uh, be able to put health strategies and performance strategies in place and be your little cheer squad. Yeah, we love making people accountable. So <laughs> contact us if you would love to have us as your um, health and performance coach. Uh, triathlon programs, health code programs, elimination diet, uh, we cover it all. So really looking forward to getting some more clients on board um, and getting to know more people out there um, and helping you with some of your problems. So lovely to chat today. Thanks, Thanks for Dave. joining us. Thanks, Thanks guys. Bye. <laughs> Bye.